The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up. We gather for ordered worship to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, and to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather to worship Almighty God. The liturgy, music, and homily this day are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. O Lord, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your holy name, for you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, on this one day within the lasting day of God's grace and mercy and love, let us, as we pray, have in our memories and in our song and in our heart the poetry of James Weldon Johnson, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path we pray. Let us offer our silent and personal words of confession in this moment. Let us pray. Thou pardoning God, grant us thy peace, grant us thy peace, grant us thy peace. Hear good news, if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, At an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. 
But as servants of God, we have commanded ourselves in every way, through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. There is no restriction in our affections, but only in yours. In return, I speak as to children. Open wide your hearts also. The word of the Lord. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 9 responsibly with the Antiphon.
The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the peoples. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See what I suffer from those who hate me. You are the one who lifts me up from the gates of death, so that I may recount all your praises. And in the gates of daughter Zion, rejoice in your deliverance. The nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. In the net that they hid has their own foot been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the works of their own hands. The wicked shall depart to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor perish forever. Rise up, O Lord. Do not let mortals prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are only human. Please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Glory to you, O Lord. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up 
and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. 
as we gather and worship this morning with countless others in countless churches across this country and beyond. Our hearts and minds are brooding over the tragic slayings in Charleston, what Cornell William Brooks, president of the NAACP, who spoke from this very pulpit one month ago, has aptly called racist terrorism. We think of these nine lost lives. We lift them and their families in prayer. We lift their historic AME Church and indeed the AME Connection itself in prayer. We wonder just how to say something that is both honest and hopeful, both hopeful and honest. Honesty about the storm, hope in the still point who is the teacher, our Lord. Others have done so before. In Rome, about 70 A.D., a preacher, it may be, stood before a small group of men and women gathered in a home or courtyard. Though varied in aspect, they who gathered were similar, for they came from various margins, the margins of life. Some were women, some were Jews, some were slaves and former slaves, some were rich but most poor, some were educated but most not. They shared Jesus Christ crucified. They shared Jesus Christ risen. Together they had already been seized by an allegiance to him, the still point in the turning world. They were walking in faith, as we are. They were alarmed, angered, frightened, and saddened, as we are today. They were haunted, perhaps, by the memory of the Emperor Nero, who famously fiddled as Rome burned, but who found time for an empire-wide persecution of those on the margins, including the earliest Christians, and, if legend serves, including to martyrdom both Peter and Paul. We are not haunted by Nero. We are, though, haunted by months and years and memories of violence and racism, terrorism, gun culture, and untimely death. In this borrowed upper room or small courtyard, it may be, the preacher acclaimed Jesus, whose word is peace and whose voice says, be still. The raised crucified, the still point in a churning world, The preacher perhaps remembered from of old and from afar his own days on the Syrian Sea, Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. He imagined in his sermon a night scene. He offered in stylized memory an account of a boating mishap. Some recollection of the book of Jonah may have stirred him. The preacher looked straight into the hurt and into the heart of his storm-tossed church, if you can use that word for that gathering at that time. He painted into his story a portrait of other boats, boats always a symbol of the church. He looked at his people and he could see their fear, their fear of drowning, of perishing. He told of Jesus sleeping. He fixed his hearer's anger and sadness right in the belly of the wail of the sermon. We are perishing, they cried. We know that creed de cour, 
today. Then he stood solemnly, facing all storms, offering in a prophetic spirit the very voice of Christ. He said, be still. And the sermon ended, and there was a fullness, and there was a dead calm, and a word had been spoken and heard in resurrection time and space. All around the still point, they paused in silence. Jesus meets us today right in the teeth of the gale, in the heart of the storm. He speaks to us the eternal word, peace. He speaks to us the saving word, be still. He is still, the still point in the turning, churning world. So Eliot, at the still point of the turning world, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor toward, at the still point, there the dance is. His is a timely word, a fit word, a word fitly spoken for us. For we are a people drenched in sorrow, anger, worry, and exasperation. The boat is heaving from side to side, from stem to stern, from port to starboard. Newtown, Marathon, Ferguson, Staten Island, Baltimore, West Charleston, McKinley, And now this Charleston church killing, this unspeakable horror, this malevolent mixture of guns and illness and ideology and racism. There is one verse in our gospel today that we have no problem understanding, and it is the angry cry of Jesus' frightened fellow travelers. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Here we are. The storm is raging, the winds are blowing, the waves are swamping our little ship, the raging tide of racism, the towering undulation of gun availability, the windstorm of violence pressing upon us from all sides. We get this this morning. Like the little Roman church addressed in today's gospel, for whom the lakeside story, the nature imagery, the threat of drowning, the Savior's voice, the mysterious and miraculous heated command, be still, were offered in the soulful, caring preaching of the early pastor, if one can use that title, we too dread drowning. We dread drowning in a sea of guns. We dread drowning in a tide of deeply embedded, persistent, perduring, and cultured racism. We dread drowning in a great windstorm with waves beating upon us and the boat half swamped as it is. And after a week like this, it is hard to know what to say if we truly want to be both honest and hopeful. For these nine dear Methodist souls in Charleston, praying in church, died because of a persistent, pervasive racism that covers this land like a flood tide. They died because of a sea of guns available to anyone, well or ill, well intended or ill intended, at any time, without any consequence, without any financial consequence to the seller, the procurer, those who profit. 
These nine died because of an ongoing ignorance about the pervasive continuing impacts of chattel slavery 150 years ago, impacts measurable in economic, social, educational, and civic life. These nine died because of a fiercely advocated and heavily funded broad agenda to privilege states' rights over human rights, gun ownership over human survival, and individual freedoms over the common good. Charles Pierce wrote honestly this week, What happened in a church in Charleston, South Carolina on Wednesday night is a lot of things, but one thing it's not is unthinkable. Somebody thought long and hard about it. Somebody thought to load the weapon. Somebody thought to pick the church. Somebody thought to sit quietly through some of Wednesday night Bible study. Somebody thought to stand up and open fire, killing nine people, including the pastor. Somebody reportedly thought to leave one woman alive so she could tell his story to the world. Somebody thought enough to flee. What happened in that church was a lot of things, but unthinkable is not one of them. What happened in a Charleston church on Wednesday night is a lot of things, but one thing is it's not as unspeakable. We should speak of it, and often we should speak of it, and loudly we should speak of it as terrorism, which is what it was. We should speak of it as a racial violence, which is what, which is what it was. We should speak of it as an attack on history, which it was. This was the church founded by Denmark Vesey, who planned a slavery fold in 1822. Vesey was convicted in a secret trial in which many of the witnesses testified after being tortured. After they hung him, a mob burned down the church he built. His sons rebuilt it. On Wednesday night, someone turned it into a slaughter pen. Oh, yes. At least this one verse in our gospel today, we have no problem understanding the angry, angry cry of Jesus' frightened fellow travelers, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? But the gospel does not end there. Maybe it would be easier if it did. The scripture brings both honesty and hope. The hope is harder to hear and harder to live. The hope requires of us ears and minds to discipline ourselves, to prepare ourselves with a spiritual discipline against resentment, to train ourselves for the long-distance run, to hope against hope, for hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? We hope for what we do not see. In the ancient sermon in Rome in 70 AD, a still voice a voice to still the storm was also heard. Can we hear that whispered prayer this morning? Can we hear a rumor of angels this morning? Can we at least hear that none of this historical tragedy was inevitable? It was not inev inevitable. And because it was not, it can be changed for the better, changed in the future. And you can lend your voice to that of the man who stilled the water, to that of the man who calmed the sea. You can make a difference. That is, you can continue to pray and to vote and to act. 
By pray, I do mean daily meditation, including the shouting, actual or metaphorical, of lament in the face of horrific evil. But I also mean the intentional gathering come Sunday with others who seek a measure of meaning, belonging, and empowerment. You can do this. One of our members, a native of Charleston, asked to read a lesson today, which he just did. He engaged. You can engage and support others. You need the Pew Fellowship, the breathing community of different others. If week by week you only regularly see family, co-workers, or those who share your own interests, you will not meet with difference which you need in order to grow and which this great land, full of latent goodness, needs in practice and for practice. In the pew, you have every prospect of meeting with others who are not relatives, not employees or employers, and not inclined to your own particular enjoyments. Not your mom, not your boss, and not your golf partner. Others who are other. Somehow, as a people, we think that we can muster the will to address communal issues on the grand scale, and so often our communal orbits of relationship on the smaller scale are with people who are just like us, like ourselves. This is like desiring to recite Shakespeare without knowing the alphabet, or diving into the calculus without mastering multiplication tables, or running a marathon without first jogging two miles. This summer, our preaching series considers Martin Luther King's beloved community, but to stretch toward that Johannine, Roycean, and kingly vision, we have to start by sitting for an hour near people who are utterly other than we in the presence of God. King said, The end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opponents into friends. It is this type of understanding goodwill that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of people. By vote, I do mean Election Day ballots. One of our BU administrative leaders here, when asked at year-end what advice she might have for graduates of 2015, said simply, vote. So yes, go to the polls. But I also mean the direct engagement with elected officials and others over time that makes a difference. Personal, vocal engagement. Susan, one of our most beloved and vivacious friends here in Boston, died suddenly of cancer four winters ago. How we miss her. One day we were walking together on the Esplanade. We were talking about gun violence. And in the middle of the talk, she pulled out her cell phone and dialed her congressman. And she said in her usual spirited voice, oh, they know me there. I have them on speed dial. She poured out the contents of our conversation to some unsuspecting staff person. That may not be your style or mine, but it was hers. And in that way, she voted every day with her time, her energy, and her money. She was one great person. We need to be speaking and listening in person by voice. By voice. 
to and with one another to a degree well and far beyond what we are doing now, and we're moving in the wrong direction. By act, I do mean doing something within your sphere of influence. Several gathered here on Marsh Plaza for a vigil on Friday noon. Others attended other events. A pastor gathered a multi-faith service in Medford last night. There is another, I believe, at Charles Street tonight. You may have decided some Sunday this summer to, to attend an AME church, to be present, to be in communion. Good. Tell them Dean Hill sent you. So let us then find ways to act. There is a danger of freezing in the face of seemingly intractable difficulties, in the face of seemingly endless, unsolvable contentions. You can, re- you can recite the freezing litany. 300 million guns there are across the land. The top 20% of wage earners send 84% of their children to college. The bottom 20% send 8%. The average asset value of the majority household in this country is 110,000 car house savings. The average asset value of the minority household is 9,000. The number and percentage of young men of color imprisoned at all levels is itself a crime. The agenda of individual rights like gun possession and states' rights like the denial of health care has seized control of state house after state house across the middle of the country. Look sometime at the photo page of elected officials in Kansas. Yes, yes, I know. These and other facts of the present can freeze us if we are not careful. But you know, life is full of change, even surprising change. In her late 80s, my grandmother had a sign up on her kitchen door. It read, do one thing. There, you've done one thing. I have a voice and I will use my voice. You have a voice too. Use it. You can continue to pray and to vote and to act. A couple of weeks ago, a woman in our community sent me a prayer, so precious a gift to hear a voice in prayer. Prayer is much on my mind just now as a form of action as well as contemplation. It gives me some measure of hope to have received this prayer. I ask permission to use it with attribution, and with its honesty and hope, we conclude today. Here is Terry Bowerly's prayer. Adonai, we pray that all may come to the understanding that one person's grief is a shared experience that we all will face. One person's love is a love that all will someday experience. One person's exclusion or shunning is one that we all hope never to experience. One person's success does not in any way diminish us. Friendship with someone new does not change the friendships that are already part of us. A person being praised and appreciated does not mean that we are not. It's just not our turn. Or there are reasons why they needed those words more at that moment. Consequences of actions born of love have a way of transforming who we are. Until each human being realizes that inflicting harm to another either intentionally or unintentionally, or participates in such group dynamics that do, we will have no peace on this earth. 
that when a whispered prayer reaches out to you, Adonai, you reach back to us. We have reached the center where we know that we are loved and nothing on heaven or earth can change that. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, in honesty and hope, we speak. Dear friends, as we continue to pray together this morning, I invite you to assume an attitude and posture of prayer according to your tradition, remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we join together in our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and eternal, our hearts are heavy this week as your church, our sister in Charleston, Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, has been stricken by violence, pain, and death. We lift up before you these nine martyrs. the Reverend Sharonda Coleman Singleton, Cynthia Hurd, Susie Jackson, Ethel Lee Lance, DePayne Middleton Doctor, The Reverend Clementa C. Pinckney, Tuanza Sanders, the Reverend Daniel Lee Simmons, Sr., Myra Thompson.
Grant to them eternal rest, O God, and may light perpetual shine upon them. You make your churches sanctuaries, places of refuge, security, and peace in a world riven by violence, anguish, and strife. But the sanctuary of Emmanuel A.M.E. was violated not only by bullets, but by racist hatred seeking to justify itself in your name. Send the Holy Spirit among us to cleanse our hearts of the sin of racism, of the heresy of racism, of the blasphemy of racism. May the Spirit inspire us with courage when we hear racist words and observe racist deeds to speak up and step in and to declare unequivocally that such violence against another human being is treason in the kingdom of God. We join our hearts with the prayer of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. this morning. God grant that we will get on board and start marching with God because we've got orders now to break down the bondage and the walls of colonialism, exploitation, and imperialism. To break them down to the point that no one will trample over another, but that everyone will respect the dignity and worth of human personality. And then we will be in Canaan's freedom land. God grant that this tragic midnight of one's inhumanity to others will soon pass, and the bright daybreak of freedom and brotherhood will come into being. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Beloved, we pause to invite you, especially those newest among us, to make use of the red pads which will come to you from the center aisle in order that after the postlude we might greet each other by name. We invite you to begin or continue the practice of tithing, of disciplined generosity. Among other goals, we are hoping in this decade to locate one donor to endow the deanship of Marsh Chapel. Is that part of your calling for the future? Fathers and others this Father's Day are invited to a light brunch following service. With much pride but sadness, we announce for you that our own Reverend Brittany Lungsdorf has been selected as the new head chaplain at Bates College, the multi-faith chaplain and director of religious life. This is a wonderful honor for her. Will you recognize her? We will celebrate her ministry following worship on July 12th. We are very happy as well to announce that Ms. Jessica Chica will begin service as university chaplain for international students ad interim beginning August 1st during the search process. Also, regarding July 12th, many will remember Elizabeth Fomby Hall, director of hospitality here at Marsh. She and Brian will have their two sons baptized here that day at 1245. We hope especially to gather many of the families of recently baptized children for that moment and hope many of you will be present as well. Our ninth Marsh Chapel National Summer Preacher Series on the general theme of Martin Luther King's The Beloved Community begins next Sunday. Another of our extended family and former staff person here, the Reverend David Romanek, preaches for us June 28th. Last, our annual Independence Day barbecue will be held following worship on July 5th. Let us worship together by receiving our gifts and offerings.
Gracious God, please accept these offerings and humble sacrifices. May they be used to further your immense love and peace in our world. And may they remind us of your generous sacrifice in turn. We pray with all that is holy in us. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to be gracious to you and shine upon you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance and give you peace now and forever. Amen.